Here's what the Word of God has to say. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I, I don't mind work. In fact, this sounds a weird, but I enjoy physical labor. I, I enjoy doing something that has a, um, a product at the end of it. And that, that may be just maybe connected to the, the, the type of work I do. Pastoral ministry, you work all day long. At the end of the day, you're not real sure if you've accomplished anything a lot of days. And so it's something, there's something sweet, there's something satisfying about doing something that when you're finished, you can look at and say, I did that well, and it's finished. I, I enjoy labor. I enjoy physical labor. But now what I absolutely don't enjoy and cannot stand is labor that is not productive. Labor that, that has no purpose or, or meaning. So about a month ago now, uh, our church had a major water leak. That's why we are, that's why we're in this building. And um, Carlton Polk, it had been raining that day, and Carlton had come by the church to see if there were any leaks. And indeed, he found a leak. And so he and Amy, his wife, had been um, trying to vacuum up that leak, thinking it's just a little water we can, we can vacuum this up, and it was Saturday, and so he thought, well, we'll get this ready for Sunday. Well, it got more and more and more, and Carlton realized it's more than he and Amy could do on their own. And so he, he called me or sent me a text, I don't remember the details now, and said, I think you, you need to come up here, and, and we, might need more, we might need more people. And so sure enough, when I got here, it was it was a project beyond. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't just a little trickle, it was major. And so um, I, I sent out, I just I opened up my phone and just literally went down as quick as I could, some people that were in the church and said, hey, we need some help. If you've got a shop vac and not got some time, can you come up here and help us vacuum up the water? And at that point, we were still pretty, we were still under the assumption that if we just had more people and more effort and more, more vacuums, then we could overcome the leak and we could fix the problem. And I was blessed by the immediacy of response. And so within 20 minutes, within 30 minutes, the, the parking lot was full. There were cars and trucks out there. There were folks in the building. There were shop vacs going everywhere and people were working. And, and I want to tell you, they were working hard. I mean, the effort was there. They were passionately trying to overcome uh, the, the water coming in the building. And we worked and we worked. Some went up in the attic to try to figure out where the, where the problem was. And it was hot and steamy. It began to rain more outside. And we labored for hours in the building trying to overcome the water leak. But there was a moment in that labor where we realized for as much as we were doing and as hard as we were working, the problem wasn't getting better. It was actually getting worse. And at that point, there was a heartbreaking realization that it really didn't matter how hard we worked. And it really didn't matter how many people we brought in. At that point, our labor was not going to be enough to solve the problem. And so we gathered all that had come that night. We, we stood in the back of the sanctuary. In fact, the place that was actually the worst place. 
Our feet were in water. The ceiling was bowing about to come down. We gathered everybody around, and this is the conversation. I don't think we're making a difference. I don't think we're making a difference. I think it's time to quit. Well, we're looking at the water still coming in the building going, it's only going to get worse. And we agreed it's time to quit. We, we, we came over here, we set this building up for Sunday, but we left this building, left that building knowing that the problem was going to get worse, but, but for all our labor, we, we were not going to be able to fix it. Now, I, I, I'm here to tell you that if it was a matter of working harder, I have no doubt that the crowd that assembled that night would have worked harder. If it was a matter of just more people, if we could have gotten more people to come, I have no doubt that we could have all gotten on our phones and we could have sent out the word and gotten more people. In fact, some of you who didn't get the text that we needed help came to me later and said, oh, I wish you'd have called me. I would have come. And so there were plenty more that would have come and helped. But, but the reality of it was for all that we did and for as long as we did and as hard as we did it, the, the problem was greater than our effort could ever overcome. Some of you right now, just in your life, are at a spot like that. It's not that you're not trying hard. And it's not that you're not w willing to give a lot of labor and effort. But for all of your effort and for all of your striving, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. You don't have to do much research to realize that there's something that has happened in our in our society, in our culture that's different than previous generations. There is a mental health crisis that is happening right now. And you hear people talking about being overwhelmed and stressed and undone. That mental health crisis is showing up in a whole host of symptomatic areas, but the, the bottom line of it is that, that many today, from the youngest among us to the oldest among us, are talking about being overwhelmed and stressed. Now, when we come to a passage like this, it sounds like a passage that may be speaking to those problems. It may be speaking to people who are overwhelmed and overstressed. When, when Jesus says, these, I mean, these are beautiful words. When he, when he speaks these words, uh, come to me. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Well, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us in this room want to raise our hand and go, that's me. <laughs> You're talking to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And here's the sweet words. I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Does that not sound good? Rest. Just as a side note, the commercials on TV that are most attractive to me are the pillow commercials. Amen. And maybe the mattress commercials are second to them. Because you know what they promise? You buy this product and you will have rest. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But you buy it and you have more rest than you were on your old mattress or your old pillow. That word rest is a powerful word to people who are heavy laden and heavy burdened. But this passage comes in a context that may be surprising to you. This passage comes in the context of Jesus speaking very hard and harsh words of judgment, particularly judgment on those who had rejected him, 
who had seen the miracles of Jesus, who had received the, the witness to who Jesus was, and even still had rejected Jesus. We'll speak about this in just a minute, but he had, just before this passage, he had named about four cities and said, your judgment is going to be worse than the judgment that God is going to pour out on Sodom. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, just know that Sodom was a very wicked, wicked place. In the context of a passage where Jesus is speaking words of judgment, he ends it with this invitation. And that's what this is, an invitation. Come to me. That is an invitation to turn away from what is bringing the judgment upon you and come to Jesus and receive his rest. So this morning, I, I want us to speak about, I want to talk about what this invitation is to come and know. What is Jesus inviting us to have? What is he inviting us to receive? And I'm going to divide it in these ways. Number one, it is an invitation to all. When you speak about the gospel, you almost always begin here. And don't ever be ashamed of that. The invitation of the gospel is a universal invitation. That doesn't mean all will be saved. It doesn't, all, doesn't mean that all will receive the invitation. But it does mean that it goes out to all who would have it. So it is an invitation to all. And it is an invitation specifically to sinners. Those who had rejected Jesus. Those who need the gospel of Jesus and then lastly, it is an invitation to rest. But it's not a rest that a new mattress or a new pillow or a vacation can provide for you. It is a rest that only comes from finding yourself righteous before living God. So I want us to understand what that means very clearly today. But let's begin with an invitation to all. So notice what Jesus says. Look back in your Bibles to verse 28 where he says, come to me. The very next word is important. All. It's a big theological word. You may need to go to seminary to understand this. All means all. You got it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, there's some things at play here that I want you to understand. The first is that this invitation of Jesus is a demonstration of God's mercy. This passage is familiar to many because it's so encouraging. And so it's very likely that even if you didn't know where this passage was in the Bible, you, you probably have heard at least a portion of it before. We like this passage. We like it because it sounds so inviting, which it is. We like this passage because it is such an encouraging word. We like this passage. We want rest. We want the light and easy burden of Jesus. And so we love this passage. But what is not often realized about this passage is that when we quote it by itself, and we don't understand the context in which it comes, that it comes in the context primarily of Jesus speaking a word of judgment. So verses 20 through 24 are the harshest, harshest judgment where Jesus says that the judgment of God on the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Tyre and Sidon will be more harsh. In other words, God will deal with them more harshly than he will deal with Sodom. Now, it may be that, that that name Sodom rings a bell with you. If it doesn't, just understand that Sodom was a city that was mentioned in the Old Testament. And it, it was so wicked and perverse that God would eventually destroy the city. But from its destruction on, its name became synonymous with wicked, wicked perversion. You don't want to be a Sodomite. 
You don't want to be associated in any way with Sodom. So it, when, when Scripture says, when he names these cities and it says, God's going to deal harshly, more harshly with you. The judgment upon you is going to be more severe upon you than even the judgment that God is going to bring upon Sodom. That would have been shocking language. But here's the point. Immediately, Jesus turns to this invitation, come to me. And we understand that this invitation is not limited or restricted. This invitation is given to all, even those who are under greater judgment than the people of Sodom. Friends, in this invitation, we have the mercy of God on brilliant display. Those who, who would be under the wrath of God can know the salvation of Jesus. Those who do not deserve the kindness of God can know the salvation of Jesus. The mercy of God offers salvation to all who would receive it. The old hymn that may ring a bell in your ears says it this way, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. When Jesus gives this invitation, it is a demonstration of mercy and it is a testimony of God's love. This is a testimony of God's love. Now, from a human perspective, those who rejected Jesus should reap the condemnation that they are due. So many had uh, rejected John the Baptist and, and even accused him of being um, crazy and demon-possessed. So in, in, in verses 18, Jesus says, listen, you rejected John, who was the God-ordained forerunner who prepared the way for the Messiah. He declared to you that the Messiah was coming, and many of you said that he was demon-possessed. He wasn't from God. He was demon-possessed. Others rejected Jesus as being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners because he ate and he spent time with those who were known as sinners in the community. And then in, in verse 21, it talks about that many had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. And even though they had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, so blind people getting their sight back, deaf people getting their hearing back, lame people being able to walk again, even dead people living again, some had witnessed those amazing miracles and even still had rejected Jesus. You know, the reality of it is there are many today who are still rejecting Jesus in the very same way. Today, God has given us the testimony of the gospel in the Bible, and many refuse to believe and come to salvation. Many hear the testimony today of what Jesus did on the cross and how he raised from the dead, and yet still refuse to confess him as their Lord. Many have seen God do mighty things in their life and in the life of others, and even still refuse to follow Jesus. Now, most of us would be ready to refuse those who had refused to believe. If we were the judge and jury, we'd say, you've had enough opportunity. You've been given enough grace already. You deserve what you get. But Jesus, having spoken a very critical and harsh judgment over those who had not believed, still gives this invitation, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The old hymn writer says it this way, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this the spirit rises beam. Dear friends, this is an invitation to all as an act of God's mercy 
and an act of God's love. But number two, I want you to see this, and that is, and it's an invitation specifically for sinners. Now that ought to perk your ears up because that's who we are. It is an invitation to sinners, and it is a relief from the condemnation of sin. So this gets into the meat of what Jesus is going to do. So in verse 29, he says, excuse me, in the the second part of uh, 28, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what does he mean by rest? That's the important question of this passage. I think what he means in the context of this passage is that he will give relief from the condemnation of sin. Now, Jesus addresses his invitation to those who labor and are heavy burdened. And and probably like our day, in their day, most people hearing this would have thought, that's me. Now, now we, we live in a service industry world. We live in an information industry world. Everybody in Jesus' day lived in a labor-intensive world. If you had a career, it probably had something to do with something you physically did. You, you, you used your body to make a living and carrying something, making something, producing something. And so when he says, if you're heavy laden, if you're tired, I suspect that most people in that world would have raised their hand and go, yeah, I fall into that camp. It's funny, even though we don't do a lot of physical labor in our world, today, we're still in that camp, are we not? We are tired, we are laboring, and we are heavy burdened. And so when Jesus speaks words of rest, we perk up. But to understand what he means by this requires to understand the context of the passage. So I mentioned that sometimes when we quote this passage, uh, we we do so as an encouraging words to those who are maybe physically tired. We may speak it to someone who is experiencing emotional, being overwhelmed emotionally, or we we might even uh, quote this to somebody who's experiencing heavy demands and expectations in their life. And I don't want to back up on this and and, and, and say that this verse doesn't speak to that. Certainly, Jesus can give rest to those who are under such difficulties. But this passage is not about just temporary relief from a difficult moment. Listen to me carefully to this. This passage is not about a temporary relief from a difficult moment. When Jesus speaks, he's always speaking eternally. When Jesus does something, he's always doing something eternally. This This would be a weakening of the passage to destroy its meaning, to think that it just means, well, Jesus is trying to make your day a little bit better, your week a little bit lighter. No, he's speaking to something much greater than that. In the context of the judgment that Jesus had just spoken, we understand that he is speaking here not of the burdens of life in the sense of having a bad day. He's talking here about the burden of sin. Scripture often speaks of sin as weight, and encumbrances. So the, the theme verse for this whole summer series is Hebrews 12. I preached it last Sunday where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, those things tied together, which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, sin condemns and weighs you down with guilt and shame and ultimately condemnation. When God opens your eyes to the reality of your sin and the condemnation it brings, brings to you, you become more and more aware of the weight and the burden of your sin. If you're familiar at all with the history of the Reformation, you may be familiar with a monk by the name of Martin Luther. 
And as Martin Luther was studying scripture, he became more and more aware of his sin and it began to weigh heavier and heavier and heavier upon him. And he would go, he wore his priest out, the one he confessed his sin to, he wore him out going to him so often, trying to confess his sin and, and relieve himself of the burden of his sin. So much so that his confessing priest said, listen, go and study scripture and find, um, find penance there. And it was through the study of scripture that God lit the fire the great reformation that literally transformed the world. Luther was trying to find relief from the weight and burden of his sin because the more he came to understand his sin, the more he understood the weight of it. Friends, there is nothing that you can do on your own to relieve the burden of sin. The burden and condemnation of sin is yours to bear unless Jesus takes it from you. Did you hear me? Your spouse cannot take away the burden of your sin. Your friends cannot take away the burden of your sins. Your pastor cannot take away the burden of your sin. Your burden, your shame, your guilt, your condemnation is all yours. And it is on your shoulders alone to bear unless Jesus takes it from you. Jesus invites you to give him the burden of your sin that he might take it to the cross. That's what he's offering here. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will take away the burden that is upon you that only I can take and deal with. And in that you will have rest. Oh, the psalm writer says it this way. Come you weary, heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never, never come at all. It is relief from the condemnation of sin and it sets you free in the righteousness of Jesus. Now understand this exchange. Not only does Jesus take our sin to the cross, but he gives us. Now the big fancy schmancy seminary word is imputes or imputation. He takes away our sin and he gives to us or puts onto us his righteousness. When Jesus saves, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So Galatians 3 says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's him taking on our sin. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Romans 4 says it this way, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Adam was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted or imputed, it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, because he had faith in God, God put upon Abraham righteousness. Under the righteousness of Jesus, dear friends, we are free from the enslavement of sin. Jesus said in John chapter eight, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But under the, under the righteousness of Jesus, we are free to be in the presence of God. Jesus said later in that same chapter, if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Oh, dear friends, listen to this exchange and understand the intensity of what's happening. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. That rest comes from not pretty words, doesn't come from a new mattress or a better pillow. It comes from relieving, relieving from you the weight of sin, the guilt and shame and condemnation of that sin taking that to the cross and putting back onto you the righteousness of Jesus that sets you free before the holy God. An invitation to all, an invitation for sinners, and lastly, 
an invitation to rest. Now, there's, there's two ways here that I think we rest in Jesus. And look with me in your scripture to verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when you're reading this, you, you might find it, a, there's a bit of a strange phrase in there. So you might think as you're, if, if you're just thinking about this, all right, so Jesus takes our sin, takes it to the cross, that's taking away your burden. Jesus puts onto us his righteousness, that is a, a light load, we're thankful for that. But, but, but notice what he says in there. He says, take my, yoke, take my yoke upon me, and then he says, and learn, and depending on which translation you have, it either says learn from me or of me. To learn. What I think he's getting that at there is that our rest comes from resting in knowing Jesus. Jesus invites you to take up his yoke and learn from him. Now there's an interesting, we're not going to get into all the details here, but there's an interesting linguistic issue that's happening in that phrase. Jesus is to be both the subject matter and the teacher. The, the word, the preposition there can, can mean both um, from and of. And so when your Bible translators translated this, the, the copy of scripture you have, we don't have a, an English word that means both. So they had to use and choose one or the other. And so some of them choose from and some of them uh, uh, chose of, but, but both of those words are, 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 are there in the, in the original Greek. And the idea is that we are to learn from Jesus about Jesus. That's the idea, that he is both the teacher and the subject of what is being Taught. The point is that we come to know Jesus, the subject, then we spend the rest of our lives learning from Jesus and how he would have us live. Now, that's connected with rest because there is rest in learning from Jesus. There, friends, listen to me carefully. There's rest in the blessing that comes from obedience. Now, we don't have the time to, to thread this all out, but but very, very quickly, let me just tell you that when you obey the, the commands of Jesus, there is a natural blessing that comes into your life. It's like anything else in the world. When you, when you follow the instructions of how the, the manufacturer intended it to be used, it always works better. And when you, when you obey the commands of Jesus in your personal life, when you obey the commands of Jesus in your marriages, when you obey the commands of Jesus in how you raise your children, when you obey the commands of Jesus in your, in your work or in your school life, there is a natural associated blessing that comes along with that that produces in your life rest. There's rest in understanding the will of God. There's rest in knowing what God wants you to do in your life. There is rest in confidence in his providence. Listen, friends, in, in the last 24 hours, I, I've heard news pundits tell us that all of our money's going away, <laughs> that the world's going to devolve into a third world war, and a host of other really, really bad things. Now, do I know or do you know whether or not those things will happen? Nope. But I know this, that the providence of God is over it all. Have you not noticed that if you have a heavy diet of 24-hour news, how your soul gets a little stirred up and anxious? Because 
What's happening in that situation is you're paying attention to the things of the world, not the sovereignty and the providence of God. But friends, there's rest. There is rest in saying, listen, even if the whole world turns upside down tomorrow, my God is still on his throne. Amen? And there's rest in the assurance of, eternal, of God's eternal purpose. I, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what eternity holds. That is that the full will of God will be brought to bear. And that whether or not I live another hundred years or whether or not I live another hundred seconds, that God's will will come to fruition. And those who know Jesus will spend eternity in heaven with him. And there's rest in that. Oh, there's rest in that. Oh, back to that psalm where he writes, Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood, venture on him, venture holy, let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. There's rest in knowing Jesus, and there is rest in the hope of salvation. One of the great contrasts in this passage is the, the promise of the yoke of Jesus being easy and light with, the, with other passages in Scripture that speak about um, uh, Christians experiencing persecution, persecution and suffering. So if you're... If you spent much time around, around Central, you, you've heard us say that if you choose to follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that life gets easy. In fact, the reality of it is, if you follow Jesus and obey his commands, the more likely scenario as the world around us grows more, more secular and hostile to truth, that if you follow Jesus, you're likely going to have some really difficult moments. And there's a whole lot of passages all throughout uh, the scripture that speak about enduring under hardship and pressing on even in persecution and, and being faithful even when the, the pressures and the difficulties of this world um, are, are, are bringing to bear. So that seems to be in somewhat contrast because doesn't Jesus say here in verse 29 and 30 that uh, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If, Jesus, if what Jesus means here is that following him will make your life free of worry and difficulty, then it would indeed be in conflict with other passages of scripture. And it'd also be in conflict with everything we know about following Jesus. Those of you who are Christians here, anybody here, can you bear a testimony that you don't have any difficulties in your life? The answer to that is no. Jesus is not saying that following him will make your life easy in this world. But Jesus is saying that the hope of salvation compared to the condemnation of sin is light and easy. Listen to this carefully. What Jesus is saying is that when you exchange the yoke, the burden of the condemnation of sin for the yoke and the burden of the righteousness of Christ, in comparison between the two, the righteousness of Christ is light and easy. Under, the, under sin, the full weight of God's wrath rests on you. You know, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to condemn sinners because in your sin, you are already condemned. If you don't know Jesus today, your condemnation doesn't happen when Jesus comes back. 
And it doesn't happen when Jesus brings the, the, uh, the, the fullness of his promises. No, the, you're, you are already presently under condemnation. In fact, what happens at the day of judgment is Jesus pronounces what is already true about your life. So understand what is, what, what is resting on your shoulders this morning. Under, under sin, the full weight of God's wrath is on you. That's heavy. But in, in the salvation of Jesus, the fullness of God's redemption and salvation covers you, making your burden easy and light indeed. There's an exchange. You can either carry around the burden of sin, or you can carry around the burden of righteousness. And Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light and easy. The, the word that is used here is interesting word to me. It, the word yoke is not a word we generally associate with gentleness. Do you know what a yoke is? Some of you do. Some of you have never seen one. A, a yoke is that piece of equipment you you place over a beast of burden, a, a, an animal that's going to pull a heavy load. You put it over their head and their neck, and it allows you to do two things. Number one, it connects the animal to the burden, right? So they become one piece. The animal and the burden, that's how the animal is able to, to move the burden or, or, or the load, whatever you have attached to them. And the, the yoke also allows the master, whoever is in control, to have authority and control over the animal to which direction they will go. Now, typically speaking, we use the word yoke synonymous with something that is heavy and difficult. Um, because typically yokes were seen as putting on a strong animal who could move a heavy load. The yoke of sin connects you to an ever-growing weight of shame and guilt. Listen to me carefully. The yoke of sin never gets lighter. When Dana and I are out running in the morning, the best moment is when you top a hill. Because running down a hill is a whole lot easier than going up a hill. And, and knowing that there's going to be a relief from the difficult moment gives you a little bit of motivation to keep pressing because that hill can't last forever. But the yoke of sin never gets lighter. You don't grow out of your sin. You don't mature past your sin. You don't work off your sin. If you want to think about it in the term of like a, the imagery of an animal yoked to a cart with heavy weight on it, just imagine that weight continuing from birth to the end of your days, continually being piled up higher and higher and weightier and weightier and weightier. It never gets lighter. It never grows smaller, it only grows heavier. The yoke of sin also makes you submissive to the control of sin and the father of lies, Satan, who only desires your destruction. That's the weight. And if I know anything about the lack of rest, that is the definition of no rest. 
a weight that never gets lighter and a master that only wants your demise. But the yoke of Christ connects you to the righteousness of Jesus that literally lifts you up to the glory of God. The more it grows, the better it is. The more it grows, the more joy it produces. The yoke of Christ connects you to be submissive to Jesus who loves you and is working to provide for you and bless you and preparing you for the glory of heaven that is to come. And that's the invitation, friends. That's the invitation today. You are yoked to something. We all begin being yoked to sin. And there is no way to remove that yoke in, in the efforts that you bring. But the invitation is to exchange the yoke of sin for the yoke of Christ. One condemns and destroys, the other redeems and brings life. Jesus has come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.